Oh, man. This series has been wonderful, I think. It's been a great experience. But the thing that keeps coming back to me is the weight of it all. Both the weight of the glory of God, realizing that Jesus left the cross a very long time ago, and though he still bears the marks of the one who was slain for us, he is seated on a throne, and he is orchestrating heaven and earth and fulfilling the will of the Father in all that he does. And to just get that picture of how intense that is and what Jesus is doing, the weight of God's glory. And then lately we've gotten into such depths of the weight of judgment. I don't know if you're feeling it, but I sure feel it. And I just have to remember Jesus said personally, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I keep asking him, can I can I trade back for that light and easy yoke? Because this is, and today is no different. Revelation 18 is no different. So if you haven't opened your Bible already, let's do that. The As I read today, the passages will be on the screen, but uh, it's always good to follow along. But let me pray for, for us all right now. Great and holy God, uh, we are grateful for life in you. We are grateful that you have opened the eyes of millions of women and men and children around the world over the last two millennia to the reality of your will and to the beauty and the gift of your son and his death and resurrection and the plan that you have after this life. We worship you and we praise you for that holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty, Lord Jesus, holy, holy, holy are you, the lamb that was slain and who now reigns as king. Spirit of God, we invite you to open our ears and open our eyes to learn. We want to know the heart of our Father. We want to know the mind of our our Savior, and we want to know the will of our God that we might walk in it. So teach us now by your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been talking through the whole series about this discovery that we made through the help of a bunch of scholars to understand that Revelation is written in cycles, seven cycles that keep retelling the same story seven different ways. And each way is a different emphasis. And we are now in the sixth cycle. So there's only one left. And we are in the middle of the sixth cycle. So I'll just remind you that chapters 17, 18, where we are tonight, and 19 are the three chapters of the sixth cycle. And in this, we are focusing on this madame or this prostitute called Babylon, which is a personification of evil, essentially. The focus here is on the mechanism of evil at work in the world, and that mechanism is portrayed as a mother of prostitutes. Empire is personified in the madame of Revelation. Last week, Daniel talked about who that woman is and how she works and those that she works with. Today's passage is the announcement of her destruction. And this scholars call a proleptic prophecy. What that means is this. This angel is going to proclaim a prophecy as if it's already happened. And then we will understand it hasn't happened yet, but it is proclaimed with such confidence 
that it can be spoken of as already happening. It's a little bit like that chant in the fifth quarter if you've ever been at a football game where one team is winning quite well and they start chanting, it's all over, it's all over. You've heard that before? It's rude when that happens, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but they they have that kind of confidence that this is really going to happen, and so they're saying it's all over. And in a way, but in a much more dramatic and holy way, that's what the angel is saying. So let's take a look at the first three verses of Revelation chapter 18. Here we go. After this, I, John, saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, And the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. This announcement is taking place on the earth, and the earth is filled with the glory of this angel as he speaks these words. And notice what he's proclaiming is that Babylon is becoming a ghost town. It's just filled with all those things that ghost towns are filled with. It's filled with demons and unclean spirits and unclean birds and detestable beasts. It's a ghost town. I want you to notice the two players in the, uh, in the work of Babylon. Notice that it talks about kings and merchants. Did you catch that? Kings and merchants. And they represent, among humanity, godless people who rule with authority apart from the will of God and who commodify life into merchandising. One example of that, in a very small way, if you think about the men that were in leadership in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, the two things that Jesus condemned were authority that was used for self-service, that was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, they told everybody what they needed to do, but they never lifted a finger to help out, so they used their authority to find prestige, honor, and riches, and it was the leadership that was in place. And of course, Jesus was constantly at war with that leadership. And you remember in the cleansing of the temple, what was he at war with there? The merchandising of humanity, of the sacrifices, of this place that was for prayer. And this is just where humans tend to go when it comes to authority and power, is into merchandising and into ruling to serve ourselves. And so that's who the condemnation is for here. Let's go on now to uh, the next four verses. And there's a call here. And this is a call to the church. Listen carefully as the angel speaks. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaping high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. 
So there's a lot going on here. Let's break it down just a little bit. The angel cries out basically to God's people and says, don't take part in her sins and don't share in her plagues. And that's kind of a right-hand, left thing. He's saying don't participate in the culture of godless people so that you don't suffer the judgment of those same people. Don't participate in her sins so that you won't share in her plagues. And I want you to notice uh, what she says. Listen to the attitude that is characteristic of those who are born from Babylon. I sit as a queen. I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. What kind of a posture is that? What do you hear in that? What is she saying about herself? Which is a personification of humanity. What does humanity say about itself? I don't want to have participate in suffering of any kind. I do not want to lack any good thing. I want to live an abundant life. I want to be in charge. I don't want to lose anything, and I never want to have to suffer. And this is humanity without God. And if we think of different forms of leadership, whether it's political leadership in different countries, or leaders of companies and corporations, or even leaders of tribes, there's this great tendency whenever humans have authority to serve themselves first and to serve those around them first and to make life for themselves and those around them comfortable and safe and protected. They want to have layers of abundance and layers of security and protection. It's just the way humans operate apart from God. We want to insulate ourselves from suffering, and we want to insulate ourselves from submission. I am the queen. Nobody is the boss of me. I am my own boss. I am no widow. I have the relationships that I need, and mourning I shall never see. It's a complete refusal to submit to the presence of the needs of others and to the suffering of others. Contrast that reality to the leadership of Jesus Christ. While he was on earth, what kind of leadership did he show us? He went directly to the suffering. He went directly to the brokenhearted. He used all of the authority that he had under the Father to serve those who most needed it. It's a complete reversal of human leadership. This is the contrast. Really, I want to set up for you, and we've said it already, but I want to say it again. There are two opposing realities at war here. There is the reality of God Almighty, and there is the reality of Satan. There is our Savior, who is Jesus Christ, and then there is his leaders, who are the beasts. He has this prostitute of Babylon Jesus Christ has the bride who is his church. And this is humanity, one way or the other, black and white. All right, let's move on to the next section. Beginning in verse 8, this one is a long one, so hang with me while we read together. Revelation 18, beginning with verse 8. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, and death and mourning and famine... And she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who, promoted sexual, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. 
They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly woods, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. Let me pause there and think about this. What is going on? What has humanity done with all that God has created? This list is a list of all of the greatest of the resources that God planted on the earth in creation for humanity's sake, including the souls of people. And what has happened to that creation? How has it been used? Say again? It becomes idols. It becomes the object rather than the means to the object of God himself. Rather than worshiping God, we worship the things, right? Yeah, what else? Yes? You're right. Yeah, there's a lot of hoarding for themselves, right? Yeah, and if you think of all the kingdoms that have ruled in great empires, what have they done to the nations where they have gone? Starting with Babylon. They've gone to those nations and they've taken the best of their resources, including human resources, and they've imported them into their own capital city. This was certainly true of Rome. It was certainly true of Babylon before them. And it's been true of every great empire. Uh, Even the Greek empire did the same. They took the resources of the earth and the resources of humanity and said, we're going to save the best for ourselves and we're going to give kind of whatever's left over to the rest of the nations. Let's read on, verse 14. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth with her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. For all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour, she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Where are the kings and the merchants when the suffering and judgment of Babylon begins? The same phrase was used for both of them, their location. They stood far off. They stood far off. What does that say of the relationship between kings and merchants and the resources of the earth and the people of the earth? It doesn't speak of benevolent leadership, does it? 
It doesn't speak of intimate relationship. It doesn't speak of concern when times get hard, but it speaks of a pulling back. It speaks of a standing far off while suffering happens. We've used these two words over and over again throughout this series, and I want to bring them up again. We've talked about allure and oppression. And the way of the enemy always works in this way. The enemy always begins his work, whether it's individually in your life and mine, or it's in, in the whole world, or whether it's over communities or governments, begins with a lure. He takes the good things of God, and he duplicates them, but makes them more easily accessible. There's no call to, to holiness. There's no call to right living or to loving well. It's just here are the things. Here are the things. Allure. And then when we receive that allure and we stand into it, what's on the back side of it is just sadness and brokenness and oppression. If you think of the temptations and the sin that you struggle with, that I struggle with, it always goes that way. It starts easy. It's very simple. And there's an allure to it. I want that. I, I'm, I need comfort. I just feel detached from people. I want to be consoled. I want to be comforted. And then there is temptation. There is different ways to meet that need very quickly and very easily and on my own. And yet, not too long after I indulge in some selfish way, how do I feel? I feel terrible. I feel used and I feel like I used myself. I used what God gave to me. I used my eyes. I used my ears. I used my brain. I used my heart in selfish service. But that's how evil works. It begins with a lure, but it always ends with oppression. And that's what's happening in this text. There are millions of men and women who see the allure of authority and leadership, and they establish governments, and they establish different kinds of communities, but in the end, the result is always oppression. There's always someone who is sacrificed. Again, remember that list of commodities, and at the end was what? Human souls. It's always true. It's always true. That's how human endeavors apart from God end. Let's wrap up the reading of the passage here. In chapter 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. The sound of harps and musicians, of flute players and trumpets, will be heard no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth." That's a very different passage than the rest of the description that we've heard so far of Babylon. What did you hear in that last portion of chapter 18? What was the description? Was it evil? Was it sinful? What was it? Yeah, grief, a lament, yeah. Everything that is there is what any community would want. It's kind of the basics of good life together. 
It's the goodness even of God among people. The description there is of a beautiful city that had some good things that are going to cease to happen. And this is where Satan can be so deceptive because he mixes the goodness of God and the creation of God and the values that we have in God with his own values and with his own agenda. And this is what is in our world. And this is where it's difficult for us because we can see, well, I'm kind of that way. I'm kind of, there's some good here and I'm, I'm like God. I was created to be like God in his image. But I'm also broken and I also struggle to love well and to obey what God has called me to do. And that's okay. But the call of Revelation is to say it's actually not okay. And the end of days with God is actually to divide out and to figure out what truly belongs to God and what belongs to Satan. What is truly on a path toward God and eternal life and a new Jerusalem? And what is on the path away from God and toward Satan and toward Babylon and toward destruction? And that's why the place we really need to set here at the end of this passage is in this phrase that we read in the beginning in in verse 4. The angel says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. We have two questions to ask ourselves. One is, where have I tried to become a king? And two, where have I tried to become a merchant? Help me with this a little bit. Where have I become a king and where have I become a merchant? According to the passage, the characteristics of kings are those who use resources and authority to serve themselves and to surround themselves with pleasure, even to an excess. And the heart and the mind of a merchant is one who commodifies all of life and who chooses to buy and sell and chooses to try to beat the odds and and, uh, work them in our own favor, that we might have more, which often means that someone else has less. Where have I become a king? Where have I become a merchant? Notice again the complete contrast to Jesus Christ. What has Jesus done with his authority? Ultimately, he died. He sacrificed. All authority as the Son of God, he gave it up. He used authority to not serve himself, to not surround himself with pleasure or comfort, not to say, I am king and I will not mourn, but actually I will die, I will suffer, I will be misunderstood, I will be rejected by my own people. This is the way of Jesus. And what has Jesus done with the commodities of the earth, with all of creation? Think through the Gospels. What did he do? He was always giving things away. He was creating food to give to other people. He was multiplying commodities and using the things of the earth to serve other people. And this is the great difference between the way of God and the way of evil. The question is not, where do I live, work, and play? We are not being called out of our workplaces. We're not being called out of the cities that we live in. We're not being called out of the schools that we go to. That's not the call. When it says come out and be separate, it's a call that's an internal call. The question is, who am I in the spaces I'm living in? Do I live as a king? Do I live as a merchant? Or do I live like Jesus? 
Do I live like one who actually moves towards suffering so that I might help relieve it? Do I sacrifice what I have rather than try to accumulate what I have? Am I a king or am I a merchant? 